Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. May is Lupus Awareness Month. When we join together across the country to raise awareness of the physical, emotional, and economic impact of lupus. Lupus is a disease that occurs when the body's immune system attacks its own tissue and organs. Inflammation caused by lupus can affect many different body systems, including the joints, skin, kidneys, blood cells, brain, heart, and lungs. No two cases of lupus are exactly alike. Although lupus affects people of all ages, it's most often diagnosed between the ages of 15 and 45. Lupus is more common in African Americans, Hispanic, and Asian Americans. 90% of people living with lupus are women. However, men, children, and teenagers develop lupus too. Founded by Sharon L. Harris, Lupus Detroit is a voluntary health organization dedicated to eliminating lupus as a major health problem through education, advocacy, and service. Lupus Warriors provide advocacy, resources, education, and support for one another. Today, we're joined by one of those Lupus Warriors, Toya L. Oglesby. Oglesby has had a life saturated with love and support. She saw the effect lupus can have on individuals and their families as a child. Her father had lupus and passed away when Toya was 12. Despite the flare-ups that have affected her life, Toya has received her BA in communications from Wayne State University and her MBA from Northwood University. She currently is a Chief Operations Officer for Express Dempster Services and has numerous volunteer partnerships. Toya strives to live a waste-free life by campaigning about environmental awareness and advocating for practices of recycling, reducing, and reusing as much as possible. She shares her story and talks about the ongoing work of Lupus Detroit today. Toya, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? So Toya, I am so happy to have you here today. I mean, you are one of many amazing Lupus Warriors that I have met over the years. I mean, it's an honor to have you here with me. 
How are you today? Oh, Mrs. Michelle, I am doing well. I'm grateful and thankful. And I must say, you know, I have heard several of your interviews surrounding Lupus Detroit. And please just know how much we appreciate you and this outlet, this avenue for you to bring awareness to everyone is greatly, greatly appreciated and so needed. So thank you. You are appreciated. <laughs> well, well, thank you. You know, I often tell people that to me, some of the lupus warriors that I have met are some of the strongest, most amazing people. I mean, in their commitment, how they overcome things. Like I can recall going to one of the walks, and there was a woman there who was uh, manning one of the tables, she said she couldn't walk that day because she had just got out of the hospital the day before. But she had to be there to support Lupus Detroit. The same with, with um, our mutual friend, and we we can talk offline about who's the chairman of her fan chairwoman of her fan club, Sharon Harris. <laughs> and you know, I mean, when the first time I met her, she had I think the year before had had two strokes. I mean, you know, and she just keeps going and keeps giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And often one of the pathways that I find with like many people is like getting to that diagnosis. And it seems like once they get to that, then it's like, okay, this is what I've got. I'm going to go. How old were you when you were diagnosed with lupus? So this is the interesting part. Well, let me say, I was I was initially diagnosed, and I was about 36 when I was mm. initially diagnosed. But when you talk about paying attention in life, you know, you always have signs and signals of certain things, and certain, if you're paying attention. And so for me, I tell people my journey really started when I was 10 mm. with lupus. And the reason why I say that is because my dad, oh, may he rest in power and peace, my dad had lupus. And I did, you know, 10 years old, you don't really know, but, you know, there were things I would do, you know, me me and my dad would talk about, my dad and me would talk about, and certain things he couldn't eat at that time. Now, keep in mind, I'm 48 years old now, so Uh that was a long time ago. And, you know, it was back then it was certain things he, you know, couldn't eat. And, you know, he would get sick and he would get lesions on his body and et cetera, and I would kind of, he would give me medicine to put on there. So that's where my journey started. And then he would have these, you know, spells or these bouts, and then he would be back well. And this particular last, he died when I was 12, and um, so interesting. I just thought he was having another one of spells. He would be uh. fine, but this particular time, you know, he had complications with the lupus, and his his fight had ended. But I say that to say it started at that age, and for years I was fine. I was fine, you know, no complications, living my life like we all do. And you talk about, you know, some lupus warriors. We, you know, we all have a warrior in us. We all in this life have something to deal with. And I thank God for doctors 
because I was just mm-hmm. going, you know, this was 2007, 2008, and I was just going for my, you know, my you know, regular checkup with my internist, and he kept wanting me to come back to redo my blood. He said that my platelets were low, and he couldn't understand it. And every time he would do my blood, they would drop. Well, you know, mm-hmm. when you're not in the medical field, you don't necessarily mm-hmm. know. You know, with the terminology of certain things and what that means. Well, long story short, or shorter story short, I was diagnosed with a condition called ITP, and it's idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. And what that means is um, my platelets had complications, um, clotting. And so you have to be careful because that means that, you know, you can have hemorrhaging in your brain, et cetera. So anyway, when I was diagnosed with that, I had no idea what that was. And so, you know, there, there's a process to everything in life. There's a process. Uh-huh. Well, that ITP led me to a support group for ITP. It led me to an ITP conference. I'll take that back, an ITP conference. And I went to this ITP conference, and during that conference, you know, it was giving, you know, explaining and giving all these details, and a lot of individuals with, I shouldn't say a lot of individuals, but they said that there is a, a chance that from the ITP it could turn into lupus. And immediately everything started coming back to me like, okay. You know, so I, I hadn't been diagnosed with the lupus yet because you have to have enough ANA traits. And um, for those, you know, who may not know what ANA is, antibodies, something, 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 okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But I didn't, I didn't have enough traits. And so we were just kind of, you know, taking care of me, processing me. You know, I had been in the hospital. I had been having all these different tests taken, done. And it was just a process. And then eventually... I'll never forget, I looked in the mirror, and my hands were like purple. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? But it wasn't that I was anticipating the lupus to come. You know, I'm just, you're dealing with Mm -hmm. each thing as it comes. Mm -hmm. But then my hands were this strange color, and et cetera. So I'm already seeing a doctor, and then they had, you know, oftentimes people with several conditions, um, but lupus, you know, you're in and out the hospital. And finally this time they had to admit me, and I, it was confirmed that it was a case of lupus. But I must say I'm grateful that I had some awareness of what lupus was, and I'm grateful that I had the scare of ITP because I didn't know what ITP was. And it's the unknown that makes you afraid. Mm-hmm. So by the time the lupus was there, even though my father had it and I saw everything that he had been through, I thought that I was more prepared to deal with what was to come. You know, you brought up an important point. And, you know, many people think of, when they think of lupus, they think of women, okay? Um, but your dad had it. And I know from attending the different lupus Detroit events that, yes, men can get lupus. Mm-hmm. How did that impact how he was with the family? Was he sick a lot or was 
you know, as black people, sometimes we can be sick, but we just have to suck it up and keep going to work and taking care of our families. How did that impact his relationship with his father? And back in the day, was it defined? I mean, did people know that this was lupus? Well, let me say this. Okay, my dad was a man's man. You know, I got to fawn over my dad, okay? I got to mm-hmm. do that. Okay, always, always. <laughs> and just because I am an African-American woman, I have got to fawn over men. The Lord has blessed me. I have had some really awesome and amazing men in my life. And I think that it was, you know, I mean, at 12 years old, that was the 80s. And so the, you know, the early 80s, and, I mean, when he died, so before that. So I don't think that it was like a real awareness of it. And, you know, my father was really known. I think I have a, I'd like to think, and maybe that's just me cherishing who he was. I like to think I have a lot of traits of my dad. But he was a really well-loved man, you know, very vibrant personality. And, of course, you know, I'm going to say he's my dad. I'm going to say he's nice looking. He was nice looking. (laughs) But, but I, I don't know if you heard me before talk about the lesions. And so uh-huh. with my, I could see him deteriorating, but then he would get well. So meaning when I say deteriorating, I'm talking about his hair was coming out. You know, and like with men, it's kind of a little different than what it is with women. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. men, okay, you'll have men that are bald, but he, his hair was like super fine. I mean, it wasn't naturally super fine, but I think the lupus had the grade of his hair. And I say that because I saw that with me as well. And so he had little strands of hair, but the lesions is the part that I really want to focus on. Because a lot of people, you know, everyone hears the term lupus, and then there is discoid lupus and systemic lupus. And the systemic lupus, that's the lupus that attacks your inner organs. And this boy lupus attacks the skin. Well, my dad had both, and I had mm. both. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my dad, he would have, like, these lesions on his back and his arms and his hands, and his nails were discolored. And, you know, I would put medicine, et cetera, and, you know, it would burn, and he would always apologize, you know, because I would have to see him with that pain. But Mrs. Michelle, when I tell you, it did not click for me. Because with the, that discoid lupus, I went on vacation to the Bahamas. And, you know, we talk about the sun. We love the sun. You know, usually, mm-hmm. you know, people of color were not as concerned with skin cancer and, you know, from the Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was in July. I came when September. My face and body was, it had looked like, I don't want to be offensive, but, I mean, I had lesions all over. I tell you, I looked in the mirror and I cried. Because I had, you know, I couldn't even identify with the person that I was seeing. So, but it brought me back to my dad. You know, he mm. didn't have lesions over his face, but he had it on his back and his arm. 
problems. And, you know, and now those traits were in me, but they were enhanced because they were all over mm-hmm. from skin perspective. And so I, your question was, you know, of course, you know, because he has such a bubbly personality, people still loved him, and they knew that something, you know, was going on with him, and they knew that he was in and out of the hospital. But I think because, you know, because even now, there is still a lot of people don't know what lupus is. So you That's can right. imagine back then, so they just knew something was wrong with him, but not, you know, not exactly sure what it is, the thing called lupus and et cetera. You know, it's, it was almost like by you being there with him and seeing how he handled it and the fact that people loved him, that you said he has this great personality, he was bubbly. I mean, even though that you, and yet you took care of him, it was almost like, well, you can tell me, did you, when you recognized that you had your, your diagnosis of, of being a lupus a um, patient, did you get strength from remembering? Did you go back like, you know, Daddy went through this. I can do this. Well, let me say this, Mrs. Michelle. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, um, the mind is a house of many rooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when your life, you know, Life with life, you have so many different rooms that your mind is going to. You know, I must admit, okay, I just, you know, I'll be turning 48 this year. And because my father died when he was 46, there were many days where I just, I said, Lord, I just wish my father was here to help me through this. And don't get me wrong, I had a lot of support. And it's Uh so essential for individuals, you know, I have a family and friends. You know, I don't have a husband. I don't have any children, but I have a lot of support. But there was just, there's a difference when you know someone who is going through it. And hence, why I am so grateful for Lupus Detroit, so grateful for Sharon, so grateful for those warriors, so grateful, you know, for the speakers and the connections and the resources because, you know, I, I don't care how strong you think you are, and we, I must say, I think we all are strong. You know, we don't know how strong we are until we have to be a lot of times. But you can be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You can have a heaviness with just wanting to make your mark in life. You know, we all want to have a purpose and leave our mark, and and so, I, you know, I said earlier, it did prepare me, but I would be, I would be being dishonest if I explained to you, if I didn't share with you and say that it definitely has some hard and difficult times in the process, and so you have to, you have to surround yourself. If you don't have family, if you don't have friends, I need people to know that there are, Lupus Detroit is definitely a connection where you can get the support, whether it's just a conversation, a hug, prayers, 
you know, a doctor, uh, you know, to help you walk through it because your life does change. But you can heal. You can heal, but it's a process. How important was it, you know, because everyone I've talked to talks about how important it was when they finally got that right doctor, that, you know, people who understood what was going on with them in the medical profession because um, I'm trying to think, I can't think of a name. I was talking to a couple years ago, and um, this sister was saying that, you know, like, they were saying, like, oh, well, before she got it, they were looking, they didn't know what was going wrong. They said, oh, we might have to amputate your leg. And it was just so happened that before that happened, she got a different doctor who said, wait a minute, you have lupus. And it was attacking her internal organs and making her have these problems. And they, they started to work with the medication. How important was it to you to find that right doctor that you could talk to about it? When I tell you, okay, and first of all, I think you're talking about the silver fox. May she rest. Oh, Beverly, yes. 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 Uh Yes. May she, such a classy woman indeed. Tell me. You know it. You know it. (laughs) But when I tell you, you know, Mrs. Michelle, it's not about finding the, no, let me take, let me rephrase this. It's about finding the right doctors. Because mm. you have to have a team of doctors. And a lot of times, um, you know, here we go, sharing again, always, you know, having resources <laughs> and, and things in place. So Wayne State, you know, they have an option where we can go, you know, lupus patients, lupus warriors, or, you know, different uh, autoimmune conditions. You go and you speak to the students. And I always point out to the, you know, the soon-to-be doctors that they have, it's imperative that they have to be respectful, they have to be knowledgeable, they have to be present, and they have to have effective communication, meaning you have to find a doctor that they need to, their lexicon or their verbiage may not, the, the average person, you know, a layman person, may not understand those terms and what you mean, or they may not even know what lupus is. So for me, you know, that's what I'm looking for. And I trust me, when I was looking, you know, I already had my internal, my internist. So that was just, you know, the regular. But when I had to find me a rheumatologist, that was truly a challenge. I literally went through four or five doctors before I found one, the one that I really, really like. But in the process of that, I, you know, you, I still have to, I had to still see my gynecologist for certain things. I had to mm-hmm. see a rectal specialist, a pulmonologist, a gastrologist, a hematologist. You know, then, of course, you have your dermatologist and the nephrologist. And, so it's just, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just ongoing so you can get to a place of healing. You know, and know what it's attacking and how it's attacking, and because you have so many different symptoms, and where we have this condition, but it affects everyone differently. And so, <sighs> doctors are essential, but we need them to help us understand, ask the right questions, so we can get to a place where we need to be. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you know, you mentioned Beverly Humphrey. And, you know, after Sharon, she was the next person that I talked to. And I got to know her. She was just like uh, a phenomenal person. And, and I'll tell you, and I told Sharon this, but I'll tell you, when she was in the hospital at the end, I was in a restaurant. And Sharon had sent me something to tell me, and I had pulled it up on my phone to see. One of the waiters walked by, and he said, I know that lady. And he went on about how caring she was, how nice she was, always was when she came in that restaurant. And he hadn't seen her for a while, and I told him that she was in the hospital. And, you know, that, and I was reading your bio, and you uh, talked about how you, you wanted your legacy to manifest and how much you genuinely cared about humanity and the planet. And that's how Beverly was. And that's how, I mean, that's what you want your legacy to be. And many people would say, you know, oh, you're sick, you've got this and that, you don't know what's going on and all like that. But that legacy of caring, that's just, you know, that's a lesson that everyone needs to think about, you know. How did you, you know, when you sat down and you were writing this, you know, many people say, what do you want your legacy to be? And they have to think for a minute. And sometimes it will be in material things. Your legacy, and you say, hey, you know, you don't have biological children, but you can be, you can be that person to those. You worked with foster kids. How did you, when it hit you, that that's what your legacy wanted to be, what made you think about, were you thinking about your, the legacy you learned from your father, just from the other people who were around you? Well, Mrs. Michelle, I definitely a mixture of both. And I mm-hmm. think... You know, you're completely different from your 20s. I shouldn't say completely different, but you mature so much from your 20s to your 30s to your 40s, and hopefully I'll see from my 50s, you mm-hmm. know. And so things are so different, but I, when I tell you, I think innately I'm just, you know, a lot of times women are just nurturers, you know, loving and kind. But I think that's just, that is just who, what was put into me. I think that's something that the Lord has given me. And, you know, although I'm not married, but my significant other is the same way. He's such a very caring person. And so you know how we kind of cling, you know, to like mm-hmm. mind or like, you know, like situations. And so, of course, life examples and either in life you're going to go exactly from what you were taught and seen, or you're going to go the complete opposite. And I've always, you know, my dad, he was he was super caring. Oh, but trust and believe, he had a temper, too. Okay. <laughs> he had a temper, too. You know, and I find myself at times I I have to learn how to control my triggers. You know, we all have them. But, mm-hmm. you know, but that that's what we're here for. We are here to help each other. And hence, you know, when you do have condition, you look at lupus and lupus Detroit, and if it was not for those ladies, you know, holding up my arms and giving me confidence and hope and help, 
you know, you you have those around you who are rooting for you, but it's just a different mechanism when someone has actually gone through it and, you know, can mm-hmm. tell you, okay, well, you can possibly get this or this can possibly happen or, you know, and, and then and letting you know, but you can make it. You can make it. And so even though we've lost some wonderful ones like Mrs. Beverly and Deidre and, you know, just some others, mm-hmm. and my dad, et cetera, but while you're here, make your mark. Make your mark and let people know that mm-hmm. you care and teach them to care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we're going to our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about you, but also about Lupus Detroit. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Toya Oglesby, who is representing Lupus Detroit this year. Um, Are you originally from Detroit? Yes, I am born and raised. Now, what, you're going to tell me I have an accent, a southern accent? Because people tell me that, and I'm like, what are they talking about? I don't don't hear it. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, the reason, and actually, no, because I'm originally from Detroit, but um, okay. I, uh, that your last name is Oglesby, and the only other Oglesby's that I have met were from South Carolina, and you know, but you know, we are connected anyhow. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, really, yeah. And I think that in looking at your life, and uh, and like I said. I always think that lupus warriors, you know, it's like you can't keep them down. You have accomplished a great deal professionally. I mean, you've got your BA in communications. You've got your MBA. I mean, you volunteer. How do you, you know, what helps you after you've had a flare-up? Like, pull it together and, and, and do, I mean, not only work, but you're doing all these volunteer things. Where do you find that strength from? Oof, Mrs. Michelle, let me just say this. <laughs> yeah, there are bouts, and, you know, this is the, the challenging side of lupus. There has been times where... I didn't think I was going to make it. There were times where, you know, I literally could not get up and bathe my own self. self. Uh 
And so, you know, during those times, you know, it was just always, I don't want to leave here and not accomplish some of the things, most of the things, you know, if not all of them, but most of the things, you know, that is that I want to accomplish or that I feel that is in me. And so you have to allow that process to heal. You know, uh-huh. look, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, I, I just said before, you know, the term, the mind is a house with many rooms, and sometimes there is a room that you just have to be still and let your energy and your body rejuvenate and whatever you need to do to get there. But you don't forget that. And so because you don't forget that, as soon as you have a little bit of energy, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm running a marathon. Whatever mm-hmm. I need to do, you know, because you, I like to believe we all want to have significance. You know what I mean? You, you want to do something significant. And, you, you know, what may be significant for you may not be significant for me and vice versa. But, and so that gives you the push and the drive and the tenacity like, okay, I, I got to, you know, I got to make this happen. And then when you think about all those, our ancestors, and everything that they went through and have gone through, and if they can do it in those treacherous times and horrific times, then surely with a condition, I'm not saying that it's easy, but Mm -hmm. I just continually have to encourage, you can do it. And you can only do it. You know, people say one day at a time, bump that. You do it one hour at a time, one minute at a time, and just each step along the way just accomplish a little bit more. Wow. You know, I mean, and that is that is so smart because really, like you said, I have often say like uh, the road to a journey starts with one step. It's like if you get that one minute, then that 15 minutes, then – a half hour, then an hour. Before you know it, the day's over. You know, the day's over, and you're ready to hit the next one. You know, wow, wow. I mean, how important? Because I know that you talk about your legacy being about caring for humanity and the planet, which comes through with your volunteer work. And one of the things that I really like is that uh, waste-free life. Um, campaigning about environmental awareness. How did you get to that, and, and what, what do you do as far as the environment? What can you tell people that you would say to them that they need to be thinking about the environment and how to, to live more waste-free? You know, everybody says, oh, I can't. But you stop and look at what we throw away, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was I was talking to somebody and the things, you know how you have the things. I was talking to a friend of mine. And they said, "Why do you keep that?" And I said, "You know what? It came from my mother. My mother didn't throw away anything. Like when you had a a, a, a birthday or Christmas, then she would fold up the wrapping paper. I still do that, and you know, <laughs> because it was like, oh, my mother would say, oh, this is good, you know. And then the next time, I always have something because sometimes it's hard to throw away, but. You know, we need to. 
How did you get an environmental awareness and justice? Well, okay, first I need to I need to say, you know, Sharon calls me a tree hugger, okay? <laughs> but but I honestly I have to credit he was my ninth grade teacher, Mr. Koss. Well, he was actually my ninth, tenth and eleventh grade teacher. He taught science in high school for me. And he introduced me to recycling. You know, he introduced the class to recycling. And I had this project, and ever since then, I mean, you know, when you just care genuinely about life, then you got to care about this planet that we live on that God has created so beautiful. And, you know, the older that I would become, you know, I kind of see how we just, we take so much for granted, you know. And I look at, like, my neighborhood used to be so beautiful growing up. Well, I just say Detroit, period. Absolutely mm-hmm. just beautiful. And you look at, you know, how the lack of care, how it has affected our city. And so, you know, I just, even with simple things, is like water. We, you know, mm-hmm. water is like the most powerful thing. Water can heal and destroy all things. And so, you know, when I talk to people, you know, just simply, you know, we, even when we're washing dishes, if you just cut off the water while you're washing it and then just wait to rinse, or when you're brushing your teeth, or, you know, simple mm-hmm. things like that. You know, recycling, you know, there's so many different things that you can recycle. And then, like you said, going back, you know, now, you know, I, I, I have some family members, you know, they're kind of a hoarder. So I'm not trying to get people... <laughs> But you can pass it along. There's always someone who can use it. And so, you know, even, and I tell people, you know, metal, even my cans and aluminum, if as long as it's clean, I take it to the scrap metal. You get a couple dollars for it, you know, depending on what it is. I mean, and it may take a little bit of extra, an extra step, but it will help you sustain the beauty of what we take for granted, you know, our environment. We need clean air. We need clean water. So let's just do our part to enhance. And those are just some little things, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, recycling is available everywhere. And I know, you know, there's some concerns with recycling. And, of course, people know about donating, and they just had this concern. They're saying that people are donating, but they're literally donating trash. Some things... You have to get rid of. Hence, you know, that's why I'm, you know, I run a dumpster company. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there are some things that you have to throw away. But what you can repurpose, please let us do that. And there's so many websites and just simple things that you can research. And, and so I, I hope I can explain that well enough for you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and I think that that, that, which sort of led me to the fact that you do, you know, you run, you're the chief operations officer for Express Dumpster Services. And it's like, okay, well, many people would say, you know, to be sexist, they would go like, she does what? But, um, you know, you're doing this. Uh, Was your environmental awareness, and how do you bring that into the work. Like I know where I live, we used to have 
one for recycling, and one for trash. Mm-hmm. And now they just have, you know, trash. And I asked somebody about it, and they said, oh, well, you know, people weren't recycling anyhow. How do you get people to think, I mean, just something, a simple way of recycling that they can, wherever they live, talk about, you know, we need to do this. Well, I will say that maybe I'm considered a little extreme, okay, because even (laughs) when... You know, my friends, they, you know, they laugh at me. But even when we would have events, like, you know, if the girls would get together, if it was a birthday party or a baby shower, whatever the case may be, I would always have bags. And, you know, Mm -hmm. anything that could be recycled, I would take it with me in my own car and recycle it. And so I say that to say part of it is leading by example. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, and it's not just, th- you know, you. it helps, it's imperative that, you know, the items are cleaned, clean. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I say at least you rinse them out off, you, you know, you don't have debris or paper or, you know, I mean not paper, but mm-hmm. stains or whatever, whether it's plastic or metal or, you know, you want to make sure that it's cleaned out. But, you know, we all have things that are important to us. And so I'm, you know, I'm a very clean person, I like to think. Mm-hmm. And so you just, you lead by example. And it's so interesting to me because um, I don't even, it was strange how I even got into the dumpster business um, because, you know, with the lupus, I, you know, had to be, I wasn't able to work for a little while. And then, you know, I was in corporate America then they did a corporate downsize, and mm-hmm. it, it, the timing just lined up. The timing just lined up, and then a friend of a friend knew someone who, you know, was hoping that I could be able to work for them to run the company, and it just, it was perfect. It, I mean, it just mm-hmm. lined up because, you know, for a long time, you know, for some years I really wasn't able to work, hence where, mm-hmm. you know, I would try to do my volunteer work and, you know, different things that I could do um, without wearing myself down and still be relevant. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just saying, like I said, some things we actually, we just have to throw out, but we just want to minimize that. And so, you know, my block club, you know, I'm encouraging people and, you know, people kind of fight you tooth and nail. You know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you just got to keep trying to push them to see the bigger picture and not force mm-hmm. people. Just get, let people know that it's an option, and it's an option that will benefit us all in the long run. And I tell people, I, tell, we, we, you know, I don't have any babies. I, well, I have godchildren, nieces and mm-hmm. nephews, but we have to preserve this earth for our babies. You know, mm-hmm. we, we really mm-hmm. do. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny how, you know, you take things with them. I was, you know, I told you, I had been in New York. I was in the Bronx, going to the store with my my daughter-in-law. And, you know, when we got ready to, to, to come out, they just handed her these things. They don't do plastic bags. <laughs> you know, they don't do plastic bags. You either have something. And, you know, and for a moment when I saw her, she picked up the stuff, and she was putting it in her purse, and I'm going like, Whoa, hey, you know, but when you stop and you think about it, you know, these plastic bags and they, I mean, I've seen pictures where they show 
them in landfills. They show them in lakes and, and even in the ocean. And I went to, the, I got back here, went to the store, you know, everything, you know, you've got the plastic bags. I watched some people double bagging. And I said, you know, do we think about if you had a cloth bag or whatever, you know, this is less that we have to use these plastics for. But sometimes it takes a moment because you get used to this stuff to wrap your head around there's a better way of doing it that's better for the environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, and that's just, you know, the progression of life. You know, there's, mm-hmm. if we stand still, we don't want to be stagnant is what I'm trying to say. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course, there is the term, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But we are constantly evolving and enhancing. And so even if it's not broke, it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, enhance it. And so, mm-hmm. and that's what, that's, you know, that's what the, the whole trash is. And, you know, I hear they're trying to do that here in Michigan, like get rid of mm-hmm. all plastic bags as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but New York definitely, they catapulted it for sure. I mean, yeah, with the moment, you know, I'm going like, you know, Girl, they would have caught us at the door. <laughs> like, what you to do in your purse? But, you know, but that's what everybody was, was doing. So it made sense. You know, um, you're from Detroit. I'm from Detroit. And one of the things that I have recognized, and I think it's great, you know, we talk about there are many places where there's food deserts. And we talk about mm-hmm. many people who don't have access to grocery stores. But we also have uh, a lot of people who are gardening and providing food. And I also know for Lupus Detroit, one of the things that I went to one of the monthly meetings and someone brought, you know, they had produce and stuff, and they said, go out and get yourself a bag of it because how you eat affects how your body is. You're a block club president. Do you see, how do you see people in your neighborhood Addressing the issue of having good food, are they, you know, and, and that impact of what you eat affecting your body and your health? Mm-hmm. Well, at, well, let me say this, you know, because of this pandemic, there are so many outlets of where you can get free food. And then we even know, you know, before Trump, our, the first lady, Michelle Obama, you know, she had this initiative where she had in the schools, mm-hmm. you know, getting the kids to move and eating fruits and vegetables. And so there is a plethora of food opportunities in our neighborhood, you know, there. And me, I personally, I'm so grateful for the opportunity, but I wish it was better organized because you have sites where you can go to, you know, to get these items, but the awareness is not out there. And you have a lot of individuals who they can't carry those big old boxes, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? and then they may not have transportation. And so going back to answering your question, how we do it, you know, we have a team of individuals in our neighborhood, you know, where we're like three streets and those three streets, like, cover 20 blocks. And so we have a specific households where we'll go get the, you know, we'll go get the food, and then we'll take it to those homes where individuals don't have transportation. 
you know, so that they can have, you know, it's not a concern or issue for them to go pick it up or try to walk with those huge boxes. So you have to have mechanisms in place where, you know, the opportunities are there, but you got to make sure that the people get it. And then, you know, you mm-hmm. have our seniors, everything is technology. And, you know, it, it technology is wonderful, but it's so disheartening because I feel like a lot of our seniors are being left behind because they're not tech savvy. They're not trying to loan it. And, you know, I'm saying, you know, the, I mean, we have in my name, in just my block club, in our block club area, at least 20 people, 20 mothers who are 90 and over, well, 80 and over, wow. say that, 80 and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they don't get around. And, you know, although there are resources, they're not on the Internet and trying to figure that out. And, and so you have to be connected and figure out more, um, I'm missing the word that I really, but more advantageous ways you know what I'm saying? Just multiple ways mm-hmm. to, you know, to get the food and get what they need. And, you know, I grew up on a very strict diet. And, and what I should not, eating habits, not diet, but eating habits. You know, I, I grew up seven-day Adventist. You know, I still, I'm, I'm a Christian all day long. But, uh, man, we couldn't eat, my goodness. You know, it was always, always a very strict diet. Um well, very strict eating habits. But I must say, Miss Michelle, I really, really believe that it helped me to heal because mm-hmm. I never was a drinker. I never was a smoker, didn't really eat a lot of meat, was always, you know, a lot of fruits and vegetables. And, you know, and even when, you know, you take a lot of these medicines and the medicines affect you in so many different ways, but, you know, and, and a lot of, autoimmune lupus patients have to take steroids, and they definitely make you gain weight. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been able to maintain. I I have not had those major complications, and I really believe that diet is a huge factor. And even in one Mm -hmm. of my healing processes, I went to um, this, you know, this homopathic facility in Tennessee. And Mrs. Michelle, when I tell you they got me together... They got me together. And so wow. you, I don't think people, they, you cannot dismiss the importance of food and exercise. You cannot dismiss it. It's true. That is so true. You know, I mean, you not only are what you eat, but you, can't, you, you have to exercise. I mean, you know, and I don't say everybody doesn't have to be able to run a marathon, but you have to move. Your body was meant to move. Yeah, and and that's that's key to your to your health. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I need to say this, and you know, individuals who may not know what lupus is or what lupus patients are going through, there are times where you don't feel like moving, uh. and even if you want to move, your body is like you better lay here, and and you just gonna lay here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But. You know, we talked about one minute, take one minute at a time, one hour. And if it comes a point where you can stretch a leg, then stretch it. You know, if you can do a leg lift, then do it. And like you said, it's not about running running a marathon, but even walking. You know, 
Walking mm-hmm. is one of the best exercises that you can do. You ha- people have to. You have to be ambulant. You have to be. You have to move. Mm-hmm. Well, Kaya, we're going to take our second break, and then we really are going to talk about lupus. Right? Okay, mean, that sounds like great. So fascinating. You know, I mean, I could probably talk to you all day, but we we have a mission here, so we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, talking with this year's uh, Lupus Detroit Ambassador. You know, when you were talking about how people were with lupus and sometimes you don't want to, to move, I can recall at so many things, Sharon's mother saying, I wish you would just sit down. And it's like sometimes it's like, Sharon, please sit down. Please, I said, she, she just continues to. She's like our, our, our energizer bunny when it comes to raising awareness about lupus Detroit. How did you meet Sharon Harris? Oh, my goodness. So let me just tell you how things line up, okay, because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about lupus Detroit. You know, I'm going through this. You know, I'm going, I'm, um, my mind is going different directions and places. And one of my best friends, and that's what we talk about, support, one of my best friends had a friend who had lupus, and she was attending or doing something for the Lupus Detroit event. And so I'm like, what? You know, I haven't heard of this, and except you know, you know how you think you in the know of everything, don't know nothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she had got, she had given me the information, and so. She gave me the, oh, I know what it was. I, I almost forgot when I was telling you earlier about the Wayne State and, you know, speaking mm-hmm. with the doctors. And so she was saying, you know, Sharon from Lupus Detroit has set it up where she could speak with the students at Wayne, you know, the you know, soon-to-be doctors about the condition. And she was like, they have a support group. So I end up going to one of their support groups. And I met Sharon and, of course, she was just the beautiful butterfly that she is, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, she's mm-hmm. bringing so much beauty. And I was just immediately fascinated at this opportunity. And you got to love Sharon's mom. Just oh, Thank you. She thank you. <laughs> is a jewel. Do you hear me? Uh-huh. She, I mean, just, she loves you like Sharon does. I mean, it's like, you know, yes. I mean, you know, her, mother is, her mother is, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We see where Sharon gets it from, okay? Yes, that's what do. it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I, when you talk about 
you know, because although, you know, my dad had it, it's still different. You know, that I was 12. I was 10 and 11, and he died when I was 12. And so he was a man, and that was a long time ago. You go to, you know, you go to the meetings, and I went to the meeting, and women were sharing their stories and talking about doctors and everything that they were going through, and it just helps you have a clear understanding. And the beauty of sharing, you know, she's always a moderator, I guess I should say. And, and when I say mm-hmm. moderator, I mean it just far as, as, as keeping everything at an even keel and pace of the meetings. Mm-hmm. And she's so patient, so gentle. Mm. You know, because when you're ill, you're fragile. You know, because you're trying to figure out certain things. And so that's how I met Sharon. But ever since then, you know, she's been in tune, reaching out, and, you know, and I just, like, was sharing anything I can do. And I was just so amazed and had the lupus walk. And she is just, this is her calling. And even when I heard her story and how, you know, she was working with another establishment and, all the money she was able to raise for her, you know, raise for them. And, you know, she saw this need, this clear need in our environment, in our culture. And she didn't complain about it. She did something about it. And hence, mm-hmm. Lucas Detroit is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I think that, I mean, it, it provides, you know, so much, not only through the events, but, you know, and the, the assistance, the fact that they do scholarships, mm-hmm. scholarships mm-hmm. to help people go back, you know, to continue their education and expanded, I mean, which one of the things that's sort of like really, I was like, wow, when I went one year and most people think scholarships are always for someone to go back to college. It's like what you need to do to continue what you're doing. And I think, like, wow, you know, to sort of get there and to get people to to step up. And she's always, you know, looking for resources and doing it. Now, I know that they have the monthly support groups. And, I mean, like I said, I tell people, I've, I've been to one. I heard someone once who was just talking about, she was telling someone about a jacket that she had found that was lightweight but also protected her skin mm-hmm. from the sun. I mean, just simple mm-hmm. things like that that you're not going to get from a bigger organization of being, it was like being with a family and people were sharing information and talking about things. Mm-hmm. How has, you know, I mean, we've had this, this pandemic going. How has the monthly support groups been able to be there for one another during this time of social distancing? Oh, well, look, let me just, you know, I just, sometimes I have to be as candid as I possibly can. And mm-hmm. you're talking about the scholarships, you know, and it's just, you know, of course, going back to school, but even scholarships to help individuals maintain. And I think people mm-hmm. can they have a better understanding now because through going through this pandemic and not being able to work and losing their job, you know, because of situations unforeseen or not within our power. And so it's the same thing with lupus patients. And so, you know, you, your body shuts down on you, and it's not in your control, but you still have to live and maintain. 
And so I'm so I got to tell you just this main thing. You know, I, I, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I know I can talk a little too much. No, it's fine. We, <laughs> these support mm-hmm. groups have been so helpful during this time, but specifically for me, and for those of you all who may not know, you know, oftentimes. You know, there will be a different speaker, different topics, you know, whether it's how to get disability or mental health or, you know, there's just different topics every month. And, of course, with this pandemic, we, um, Sharon had this doctor come on about the vaccine, okay? Mm. And, and we were being honest, and I won't speak for everyone else, but, of course, a lot of us were a little, you know, concerned and apprehensive about taking this vaccine because it was so new. You know, we want to get back to normal. But this doctor, you know, he went into detail. You know, he gave his pros and cons and, you know, all the information. But in the midst of that conversation, you know, lupus warriors coming in and saying this is going on, that is going on, and et cetera, et cetera. And one one of my lupus warriors she was explaining to him, you know, certain medication that she was on, and she didn't know, you know, as far as, you know, with the vaccine and how effective it would be. And sure enough, the doctor came in and said, you know, she was she was taking um, Rituxan. And the Rituxan is a, for, you know, those who may not know, it's a uh, mild um, chemotherapy. And he mm-hmm. said to her, if you are on Rituxan, you absolutely should not take the vaccine unless it's three months before your treatment or three months after your treatment, which in turn led the rest of us to ask questions, okay, wait a minute, I'm on this, I'm on that. You know, how is it going to affect that, you know, if we decide to take the vaccine or for those who, you know, who who had taken it? And, you know, he was like, make sure you go and you speak with your doctor. And he was like, you know, make sure, see if you can get a lower dosage or, can stop taking your medicine altogether because it's going to affect the efficacy of the vaccine. And so things like that helps you to make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if this is the right route for you. And even when I was diagnosed and, you know, there are different people, you have different medicines that you have the option to take. But because I had these lupus warriors, you know, given their stories, about what medicine they took and how it affect them and this and that, it helps you have an informed decision, you know, if you're trying to get disability. And, and so that's why, you know, just different aspects that people wouldn't even think about, you know, and it helps mm-hmm. you know the resources. And so hence this is why, you know, with the pandemic, of course, there's some challenges on trying to raise money and we have to use some different outlets. And so... That's why now they're doing this raffle because we want to keep people safe because we're already compromised. It's easier for us to become ill, and so social distancing is a it's imperative, you know, because uh-huh. you don't know where someone is. And so I, I just so appreciate all of the avenues that they have. You know, Lucas Detroit has put in place all the, the events, all of the programs, so that they can raise money to help these, you know, help us, you know, and then, of course, you have some individuals who, you know, they may have other support systems where they may not necessarily need the scholarship or need this, but they know someone who does, and so that's mm-hmm. how we help each other, you know, so. I, I, did I answer your question? <laughs> no, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, 
I can recall, I want to say it was Francine Houston. I remember her talking to her, and she was saying how um, one year she had been in and out of the hospital. Christmas was coming. And, you know, she said part of her that felt bad was thinking that she wouldn't be able to do for her child. And when she came Mm -hmm. home, the lupus warriors had set it out, you know. And her son had, you know, that kind of support, you know, that's, you can't put a price tag on that. Mm-mm. But, you know, it is true that, you know, I know there used to be the brunch. Um, there was the walk that would be like in the fall. I think the brunch was usually in May. The walk was like sort of in uh, end of August, around September. I know, um, I believe it's Attorney Perkins. We could do a Christmas fundraiser. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, and what people need to know is, Lupus Detroit is not sitting in a big building with a whole bunch of people running around. Most of the people who are doing the work are volunteering to do the work. And, of course, it's it's led by the person who's doing this writing and doing this is Sharon who's doing it. But this year there is a, a big part of the fundraiser is this raffle. And I know I'm... I bought my tickets, <laughs> and the winners are going to be um, selected on June 1st. Uh, well, how do people plug into the raffle, or even if they don't want to buy tickets, but they, because also you can buy a raffle ticket or you can just make for support. What's the best way for people to, to do that, to contact Rufus Detroit? Well, you can definitely, okay, you definitely want to, let me just say this, for the raffle, the raffle tickets are $10, and then, you know, Uh there are unlimited entries through May 31st. So, you know, we were, we got this weekend then, you know, right before, right after um, Memorial Day. And so people can also what so what they can do is they can text give and then there's the number is 313-214-2917 so that's 313-214-2917 and so you can text that number and you know of course we have the lupus detroit website you can always go there and you can you know you can always reach out there to the to the email address there you know, any information that you may need. But the most easiest way, the easiest way is to text GIVE to 313-214-2917. And like you said, they're going to select a winner of June the 1st. And then the first prize is going to be a Ninja Food Smart um, XL 6-in-1. You know, we're all on this health message. We're all trying to be healthy, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the second prize is going to be, well, there's three prizes. So I shouldn't say first, second, or third. These are just the three prizes. And then there's going to be a $250 spa gift day, gift card. Lord knows I could use that. And then I'm with you there. <laughs> no, okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be a 300 grocery card. And so, mm-hmm. you know, those are just some of the prizes but, you know, it's really just a push to help raise as much money as we can. You know, we know that there are all kind of outlets and there's so much need, but we just don't want you to forget the lupus warriors because mm-hmm. even before the pandemic we were having a hard time, you know, individuals a hard time 
you know, if they could work in and out, you mm-hmm. know, having to rest and et cetera. And so even after the pandemic, you know, we're starting to come back. And so we're just asking that people be willing to give from their heart and you can get raffle tickets or even if you just want to make a donation and you can go sh- straight to text give. You can text give, G-I-V-E, to 313-214-2917. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you had to do your elevator speech and tell people about Lupus Detroit, you know, you've got maybe – you know, a short ride, and um, maybe they've just heard you and they said, you know, Toya, we heard this. Why? What would you say to them about Lupus Detroit? I would tell them that if you have anyone, and it's not just about the warriors themselves, but as well as the caregivers, if you're looking mm. for an environment and you're looking to be whole and you're looking, you know, we, it only takes one person, one person to change our circumstances. And if you come to Lucas Detroit, you'll have more than one person to get you on the path that you need to go. But you've got, you've got, to, you've got to connect. Mm-hmm. You've got to connect to one. You told me to make it short, Mrs. Michelle, so you can go right, on and on. Right. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're right. You know, and you know how they say how sometimes you need a hand up, not a handout? Yes. That's what Lupus Detroit does. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just really, you know, I really cannot speak, you know, enough. You're going to come into contact with different personalities and you need to see those different personalities because it's going, you know, there's going to be something in everyone that you identify with. And everyone is affected differently, you know, from this, from this condition. But we're all fighting. And the thing about lupus is it's not just about lupus. It can spill over to any perspective of your life. It is truly a tool to help you fight and win because we genuinely want everybody to win in life, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you definitely do. You know, I mean, you are phenomenal. I mean, as always, every lupus warrior I, I meet is phenomenal. Um, I think about um, for different people who I've met, Francine, uh Definitely Beverly, uh, Kaylin, I mean, who have, I mean, and at certain point in times when many people would go like, I just can't, but they've sort of like pulled it together and then they keep going and continue to give back. And, you know, you don't know as you talk, you know, like you said, you don't have any biological children, but you don't know that how many young people and even young women, you know, you're not, there are women who, and young men, who have lupus, who are, you know, the next generation by seeing you talk about you can overcome and you're doing this. And the fact that you're doing, you've got a career, you've got on, you know, go ahead, girl, you're chief operations officer. Go ahead, girl. You know, I have, you know it's just like I can recall, I mean, and, that, and that's an important 
that's a mirror that, that our kids, particularly kids in the African-American, kids of color, maybe that they're kids who are, have a parent who's doing it by seeing and hearing. I mean, I could feel the love you had for your father. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could feel it, you know, and that, and that here he was sick, but there you were, and, and how that love passed between the two of you, and it's still there. And those are our important things that everyone needs to hear and know. Oh, thank you so much for that, Mrs. Michelle. And, you know, we're all, we're all really just trying to live the dream. You know, mm-hmm. we're really just trying to live the dream. And, you know, I just encourage people, whatever your dream is, you are going to have some roadblocks, but you can't stop trying to live it. you got to live the dream. And then just take, you know, take the lessons and the wisdom from those of, who have surrounded you, good, bad, or indifferent, and make that work for you in your life. And, you know, I just have to go back to Sharon and even this opportunity, Ms. Michelle, like, again, I must say, so appreciative of this time and everything that you're doing and, you know, how you're giving us this outlet. But even when you feel like there aren't individuals there here, well, I should say around you supporting you, you've got support at Lupus Detroit. Whether you're a caregiver, whether you just want to know about it, whether you're a lupus warrior yourself, you know, we're here. And I'm telling you, I am not exaggerating when you meet Sharon and her mom and some of the other warriors, you will see that, that, okay, we can do this. We can do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Toya, I want to thank you for taking time with, today to talk about it. I mean, you gave a double shout-out, not only for the Lupus Detroit uh, raffle, but a pre-Father's Day, you know, shout-out. I hope that everybody who hears this goes and gives their dad a big hug. You know, um, Thank you so much for all you do. I'm sure that at some point in time I'm going to come back to you to talk more about the environment because, hey, I'm a tree hugger too. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So, but, again, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to the next time we can have a Lupus Detroit brunch, a walk, and, you know, and walking with you and talking about you. But like I said, I want to talk to you about the environment. But thank you again. Thank you. And have an amazing day. I want to thank my guest, Lupus Warrior Toya L. Oglesby. Lupus Detroit was founded by Sharon Harris. It's a voluntary health organization dedicated to eliminating lupus as a major health problem through education, advocacy, and service. Because of the pandemic, the organization is not having its annual fundraisers, the Lupus Awareness Brunch and Lupus Walk. Instead, it's holding a raffle. There are three prizes, a Ninja Foodie Smart XL 6-in-1, a $250 spa gift card, and a $300 grocery card. 
The drawing will take place June 1st. To enter, text GIVE to 313-214-2917. You can also make a contribution for the general support of Lupus Detroit by texting to this number. To learn more about the services and support available from Lupus Detroit, you can visit the website at www.lupusdetroit.org. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.